Welcome to the Physiatry Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of physical medicine, rehabilitation, pain management, traumatic brain injury, and sports medicine, all in one. This is your host, Dr. Avinash Ramchandani. This is podcast number five, part two of two on anxiety. I'm also extremely excited to tell you we're going to have our first guest next week, Dr. Santosh Nadipuram. He's a pediatric infectious disease specialist, and he's going to be talking to us a little bit more about the coronavirus. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit more about anxiety, cross-cultural aspects of anxiety disorders, as well as how you can tell whether you have anxiety or not, the prevalence of anxiety throughout the world, and finally, how you can help someone else that you know may have anxiety. First, I'm going to talk a little bit about the cross cultural aspects of anxiety disorders. If you think of it as a human race, what are we most afraid of? We are afraid of a catastrophe. This catastrophe could be an illness, an elevator shutting down and getting stuck, or an airplane crash. In the United States, the thing that is most associated with panic attacks is chest pressure. Heart attacks are considered a catastrophe in the United States. This is very similar to some places in Asia, including India. Now in Cambodia, people are scared of having tightness in the legs, and this is called limb blockage syndrome. Their anxiety symptoms actually come when they feel tightness in their legs, which blocks what they think is a wind-like substance that supplies the body with nutrients. So when this wind-like substance and blood don't come to the body, they feel anxiety or they feel leg pain, which is a manifestation of their anxiety. There's also something called a wind overload syndrome, where there is too much wind coming to the stomach and their anxiety symptoms are actually manifested by this stomach pain or even like butterflies in the stomach. In the Chinese culture, there is often association with a weak organ in catastrophe. Therefore, patients that have anxiety may be hypervigilant to cardiac symptoms, such as dizziness, blurry vision, and tinnitus. And this can also be the symptomology of their anxiety. When I think about this from a chronic pain perspective, some people in pain or chronic pain may experience catastrophe when they have this pain reoccurring. Therefore, their anxiety actually develops symptoms of their chronic pain and we provoke that symptom that they normally have in their pain syndrome. So why is this important? People with an anxiety disorder may also have pain and people with pain may also have an anxiety disorder, but these both may contribute to each other as they may make anxiety worse and the anxiety may actually mimic the pain. So if you have anxiety and you can recognize where this anxiety is coming from and what symptoms you're having, you can manage the anxiety by doing the things that I mentioned in the previous podcast, including mindfulness, meditation, etc. Remember, you are not alone if you are anxious. There are over 300 million people in this world with anxiety. And anxiety not treated well can lead to other conditions, including depression, chronic pain, etc. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the mental health disorders throughout the world and how they've been treated and how poorly treated they are. In low and middle income countries, between 76 and 85% of people with mental health disorders receive no treatment. In high income countries, which includes the United States, only between 35 and 50% of people with mental disorders are treated. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan and the US Congress repealed most of the Mental Health Systems Act of 1980, which was put in place just a year before by President Jimmy Carter. Now, Jimmy Carter was reacting to something that happened a couple decades earlier with President Kennedy, where he actually wanted to make mental health a priority for the federal government. And he actually put a lot of the mental health issues into the federal government's possession. Now, in 1981, this again became repealed 
and became more of a state issue. When this happened, many of the states placed these patients in nursing homes and boarding homes, and then they were discharged, and then they ended up in the street. This, we think, has contributed to the problem that we have right now with homelessness in California and throughout the country. While you may think that 4.2% of people with anxiety disorders and other mental illnesses is a big deal, when we think about the homeless population, 45% had some sort of mental illness and 25% of these were severely mentally ill patients. Now, all this probably started with a simple anxiety disorder, which then ended up with depression, which then ended up with these patients losing interest in their jobs, which then ended up with them losing their jobs which then ended up with them without money to afford their rent, which then resulted in these patients now being on the street. Anxiety costs society in the United States about $46 billion per year. When we think about anxiety and its risk for suicide, it is actually lower than many of the other mental health disorders. But the risk for suicide is still about 2.7%. Now, the risk factors for anxiety can include low self-esteem, medical illness, loneliness, exposure to abuse or violence, including sexual abuse and sexual violence, decreased income, poverty, unemployment, poor access to medical services, poor access to mental health resources, injustice and discrimination. I pointed out right there that there is a higher risk of anxiety to people who have less access to mental health because access to mental health is decreased throughout the world, including in the United States. And it's significantly decreased in the United States, even though our population is one of the richest populations in the world. According to the U.S. News and World Report, the highest rate of mortality and morbidity due to mental health reasons are number one, China, number two, India, and number three, the United States of America. Even though China and India have the most morbidity from anxiety states, they actually have less anxiety than the United States and Europe. When we compare the actual numbers, in the U.S., 8 out of every 100 people have anxiety. In India and China, it's approximately 3 of every 100 people that have anxiety. Now, why is morbidity and mortality actually worse in India and China? It's probably because they have less psychiatrists. We can see evidence of this when we compare the United States and Europe as far as morbidity and mortality from mental health disorders. The United States and Europe have about the same ratio of anxious people, but in the United States, we have a lower ratio of psychiatrists per 100,000 people, approximately 10 psychiatrists per 100,000 people, and Europe has 30 to 40 psychiatrists per 100,000 people. And this probably accounts for the difference in morbidity and mortality from anxiety states and therefore with other mental health disorders as well. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about how you can help other people with anxiety. This is mostly going to focus on people that are close to you, including your partner, spouse, or maybe your mother or father. Many people demonstrate their anxiety by either fighting, running away, or freezing. When you're close to someone, you can pay attention to exactly what their anxiety and symptoms are. And so you can actually ask the person how they would like support. Some people like support with practical advice, And some people like emotional support. And some people may not want that type of support, but may want something else. The best thing is to observe someone close to you and see what works. Another way to help with anxiety is to actually point out what is their anxious trait. But you may need their permission in order to point it out. Because if they have a compulsion to their anxiety, they will actually give in to their thoughts. And this may be more difficult to get over. Giving support may be the ideal way to support someone's anxiety. For example, going to a psychology session with them 
may be a great idea. You may also want to read about cognitive behavioral therapy. Just having this knowledge may help your loved one. Remember, anxious people always go towards catastrophe and they go towards their worst case scenario. So you may want to ask them, what is the worst thing that could happen? What is the best thing that could happen? What is the realistic likelihood of something bad to happen? Don't overly reassure them because that will actually increase their anxiety and it may make them feel like you're giving them too rosy of an outlook. This rosy outlook may be too rosy for them to believe you and to believe what you're saying. When you are speaking to this person, make sure you realize that you can only control your actions, not someone else's. So when they are thinking in a certain way, you can't control their thoughts. You can only do so much. One of the key features of anxiety is avoidance. You shouldn't do things for them that will cause them not to face their fears. The same way that you wouldn't do your sons or daughters homework for them when they come home from school. You have to let them help themselves and not do the things to help them directly. The only time where this is not true is where someone is so depressed that they can't get up from their bed. And if this is the case, you must make sure that you do everything to make them get up and try to support them in any way possible. This may be the place where the suicide hotline may help you. Remember to avoid stigmatizing them, especially if they have a more complicated mental disorder that accompanies their anxiety. It may feel beyond your ability to do anything, but accept them and make them feel normal. Don't make them feel like an outcast because that may just increase their social anxiety. The last thing to help someone else is to definitely take care of yourself and help yourself. Keep yourself happy. You may need some time off and may need some time away in order to be able to catch up to what's going on with your significant other or loved one. Remember, keeping yourself useful for the next time is more important than helping someone all the time and not being able to help them next time, because the next time may be where they need you more than today. I hope some of these tips help you with dealing with people with anxiety, including your loved ones and your significant other. I've really been talking about anxiety as a general term, but there are specific anxiety disorders that I wanted to talk about in a little bit more detail before the end of this podcast. These anxiety disorders are different than everyday anxiety. All of us do have anxiety of some sort. For example, driving on the freeway may be anxiety provoking for some people, but not for others. But that anxiety makes us pay more attention and makes us be more vigilant on the freeway. Therefore, not all anxiety is a disorder. An anxiety disorder is very different. This is where something is abnormal about the way someone is perceiving the anxiety. For example, generalized anxiety disorder is when someone has chronic exaggerated worrying about everyday life. This could consume the patient or the person throughout the day, making it hard to concentrate or finish daily tasks. There is also social anxiety disorder. This disorder causes intense fear about social interaction, often driven by irrational worries about humiliation. This is where someone thinks they're going to say something stupid and they are worried about becoming humiliated in public. Panic disorders are characterized by panic attacks and sudden feelings of terror sometimes striking repeatedly and without warning. As I mentioned earlier, the symptoms may depend on the person or their culture. Phobias are also a type of anxiety disorder. Claustrophobia is one of the most common things where people are scared of confined places. This could be an elevator, an airplane, or an MRI machine. There are obviously many other social phobias, including being afraid of ants or being afraid of snakes, even though many snakes are not aggressive and not poisonous. So this is something where there is an irrational fear to something that is not necessarily scary. How many people do you know with some sort of phobia? I, for example, am scared of ants. I don't know why, but I am scared of ants. There's no reason why I'm scared of ants, but I am scared of ants. Now, this does not 
take over my life or make me panic. But when I see ants and they're crawling all over me, that makes me a little bit freaked out. There are also other anxiety disorders, including selective mutism, separation anxiety disorder. By the way, which child does not have separation anxiety disorder at some point during their life? Substance abuse or medication-induced anxiety disorder. This is where someone does not want to get off their medication because they think they're going to go through withdrawals or they're going to go into intoxication if they take too much of some medication or they're scared of any medication because they think that it's going to cause side effects. I want to remind you again that this podcast is for general knowledge and not advice specifically to you. So if you are experiencing any of these conditions, please go see your psychologist, primary care provider, or other professional to get help. If you or someone else is thinking about committing suicide, please call the National Suicide Hotline. In the United States, the number is 1-800-273-8255. In the United Kingdom, they actually have a three-digit number. It's 111 option 2, and this is for mental health crises and support. You can also call 999 or 112, which is the national emergency number. There is a charity in the United Kingdom called Samaritans at www.samaritans.org. They have their phone numbers and other information listed on their website. In Canada, the national emergency number is also 911. There is a crisis text line in Canada by texting CONNECT or PARLER, P-A-R-L-E-R in French. China has multiple different associations, but their national emergency number is 110. And in India, the national emergency number is 112. There's also an organization called Samaritans Mumbai. It's SamaritansMumbai.com. Their number is 842-298-4528. They have multiple different phone numbers and they're open 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. all days. Most countries have a three-digit emergency number as well as suicide hotlines. Many have three-digit suicide hotlines. These are all listed on wikipedia.org. Thank you again for listening. If you have any questions, please send me an email at info at painlessnx.com. Again, painlessnx.com. I'd love to put your questions on the podcast, or if you have any topics you'd like to talk about, please let me know. Next week, we're going to have a special on the coronavirus with Dr. Santosh Nadipuram. I look forward to talking to him and look forward to seeing everybody here again next week on the Physiatry Podcast. Thank you.